0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 28 of an Inside View podcast with On the Ball Team Building. If this is your first time listening to Inside View podcast, we really appreciate it. Go back to episode one and have a listen. Please do a rate, review, tell your friends, family, whoever may know about the podcast. It means a huge amount to us. That one extra download, that one recommendation, it um, go a huge way and we'd be, we'd be extremely grateful. Um, any interaction that you may have about podcasts. podcast, uh, Please do tag us on social media on the ball team building and to ta- do tag the guests too. A uh, big shout out to our sponsors GRG Sports up there in Mayo um, who have been a great help over the last couple of months. And uh, they're actually running a competition now at the moment so head over to their social media page, um, pages and you'll, you'll see what it's about. Uh, the prizes are, are very very interesting. Um, fair play to the for for both such a great competition together and great offers for the winners. Um, so if you want to want to be with a chance, um, head over there and and see how you can um, can enter. So without further ado, it is time to bring on this week's guest, and I am delighted to be joined by former Irish rugby international and Limerick prop Mike Ross. Harlequins gave Mike the chance of professional rugby at 26, a risk that he paid back to them in buckets. Ross moved to Leinster in 2009 where he won two European Cups, the European Challenge Cup, two Pro 12 titles and made over 150 appearances for Leinster. The Corkman also had a massive success in, in the green for his country where he won back to back six nation titles and made a total of 61 appearances. Absolutely remarkable, especially when he uh, when only turned professional at 26. He had a remarkable and amazing 10, 10 or 11 years. Um, I am actually really excited to, to have a chat with Mike. So, without further delay, I'm going to bring him on now. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the interview podcast. How are things up in Dublin at the moment?
1: Not too bad, Jamie. Uh, as you, Same as yourself, I'd imagine. Uh, we're all kind of, you know, waiting for lockdown part two to end. And so we can uh, get out and maybe give of a Christmas four ourselves.
0: And how has the, the last couple of months been for you, I suppose? You know, initially when lockdown did happen in March, um, how do you find that, you know, mentally and from a work perspective?
1: yeah it's, it's been strange you know it ha, it's been pretty strange I mean like the first part of lockdown I have I've two young kids so nine, nine and six and uh, we had them at home and we we're trying to teach them you know uh, which I'm not qualified to do but we muddled through that and thankfully summer came along and so we didn't have to do that for too long and in the middle of all that I switched jobs so I started my new job in October and I haven't Actually met any of my new coworkers face to face yet you know there've been plenty of doing what we're doing you know on on Zoom and video chats, but uh I haven't actually met anyone uh face to face from the new job, which is kind of unusual
0: and how are you um how are you finding that? Do you find it you know quite testing that you know you can't you know i suppose that face to face interaction and the water cooler um conversation you know especially when you're new to the job how are you you know muddling your way through that
1: as best you can i mean there, there's enough kind of work related meetings that you can have a little bit small talk at but at the same time like you said you're kind of missing that non-scripted interaction where you just meet someone and you have a little chat over a coffee or those little touch points that you get that you don't in uh, a work, remote working environment
0: Um supposed suppose, look, we'll bring it back to the, to the early days. Um, you are a, a cork man I uh, grew up in, um, in, on a farm. And do you think that upbringing, um, you know, milk and cows and things like that, do you think that um, kind of uh, got you ready for the rugby world, you know, toughened you up for the rugby world?
1: I think it certainly helped uh i mean you find a lot of farmers actually going into the front row you know before me john hayes and you know at the same time as me rory best and now you got Tyke furlong and they're all you know all from farming backgrounds i i guess if if you're working doing physical labor from a relatively young age which i certainly was you know i mean hauling buckets of feed feed to the calves and you know um my dad wasn't a big believer in crushes, so sometimes we had to, do- <laughs> to dose the cattle in the field, you know. Um And you're trying to get your uh, bullocks' uh, head, a yearling bullocks' head up, you know, with just your hand. <laughs> it certainly can toughen you up. So yeah, I, I think it, it certainly helps, you know. Um Now you see a lot of the guys coming in, and they're they're gym strong, but I think you know uh, working strong is a, 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 a different kind of strength sometimes.
0: And Used you do any, any kind of training on the farm, you know, in your in your younger days, um, apart from, you know, the normal farm and stuff. Used to be, you know, um you say lifting bales or, or st- stuff like that just to make yourself stronger, had you homemade gym?
1: No, nothing like that, you know. Uh I was uh, I was largely completely ignorant to the idea of um you know, structured physical training, uh until until at least I got to college. You know, like obviously, I saw you. You see the Olympic weightlifters and the rest of it, but it's not really something that you would um been exposed to. Certainly, on on a farm in Cork in the mid nineties, you know.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's made how times have changed. Um, but you you you're definitely touching a the point there that that thoroughness and roughness from you know have been brought up in a farm. You know, you, you can be in so much you want, but there's something different in there. There's something uh, that
1: extra voice yeah well i think we all know a, a guy who's scrawny could like outwork you outlift you and just can keep going all day you know it's a, it's, a, it's a different kind of fitness i guess you know um for instance when during the summer my i say my dad was probably the last man to get a round bale or two so we'd all these small square bales and you have to bring around three or four thousand of them in to keep you going through the winter and the only way you get them in was a a pike you know so you're you're piking all these bales on and throwing them up and then stacking them two or three times it's uh it's a good grounding let me tell you and i was trying to explain to my son there the other day that you know if we're if you were down the farm you'd be um there's a thing called piking shite and uh (laughs) you'd be learning about that because he was complaining about cleaning up some cleaning up some leaves for me right and i was going listen you know when i was your age (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I did exactly what I said I'd never do the, you know, so when I was your age you know what I was doing now with that kind of thing but uh,
0: ah, there we go brilliant brilliant it's, um, and do, you, do you still have any interest in, in farming or do you still kind of keep in touch with it any bit apart from those like, th- that summer you know drawn in square bales
1: yeah I do big time I, I, have, a, I have a tremendous um, love and respect for, for the farming community uh, my brother still and my dad are working together in partnership. You know, they partnership, but you know, they tend to rub off each other quite a bit. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I like I often think that we take for granted the quality, of the produce that we have here. You know, I mean, we probably have some of the best dairy products in the world, or the 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 beef we get is all grass fed. I mean, you go over to the States, right? And you, you look for grass-fed beef and you're going to be paying a hefty premium for it. Same, same kind of thing. You know, like around now, when you're going for fresh turkey, unless you know, a, like a, an Amish farmer over in the States, you are not getting a fresh turkey. It's going to be very hard for you. It's all going to be like frozen stuff, um, pre-injected. And uh, that that that's what, and we, whereas we just take granted. oh yeah, I'll just go down to butcher. I'll get a, a bronze turkey and I'll, bring it home and that'll be that. And the idea of getting a fresh turkey, is kind of, it's a luxury,
0: it's definitely a luxury. And here we just take it for granted. When did um, when did rugby start for you? Was it, was it always something that was in your life or did you kind of take it up at 11 or 12 or 13 years old? Uh, so my dad
1: used to play for Femoy Rugby Club. Okay, and a little bit of information there. When he was playing back in the late 70s, his number eight was a guy called Dick Heaslip. Who, was, uh, who happened to be Jamie's dad. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, Dick, Dick was in the army at the time, and there was an army barracks in Formoy, and so some of the local soldiers would go down and play a Moy Rugby Club, and he was one of them. Uh, so my dad brought me into Formoy Rugby Club when I was 11. Uh, I was always a husky kid, <laughs> if so and so put it. So I, I had a stone for every year at the time. So, you know, Gad didn't really suit me. Uh, but rugby, you know, rugby is something I can do. And I think that's one nice thing about rugby is it's, it's, a, it's a sport for all shapes and sizes. So, you know, the fat kid has a position, the skinny kid has a position, the tall, lanky kid has a position. There's there's something for you all. Uh, so um, and I played with Moy until probably 18. And then I went to UCC, spent four years there, went to Cork Con after I graduated college. Spent four years there and then moved to Harlequins in the summer of two
0: thousand six. And on, on that point, and what I was actually blown away with, I I wasn't aware of it before. Um, you were actually quite late going into the professional world, um, and I actually found that amazing. And it's uh, it's a credit to your determination and drive. At twenty six, you were working at a lab in, in Clonmel and how did things change for you?
1: Yeah, it, it was a little. A few, a few things went right. Um, well, a few things went wrong first to go right. So uh, I, was, I, lost my, I was working in the lab in Clonmel and in December 2005 I was made redundant, right? And at the moment, at the, at the time, I thought this was an awful thing to happen because I was getting married the following June. And, uh, you yeah, know, but at the same time, I was always kind of in the periphery of monster squads. So I didn't have a contract, but I get the call in to make up numbers when the lads were at the Six Nations, right? So I was able to train more full-time with them. And, you know, I was supported in that by Declan Kidney. And unfortunately, there was no contract there for me in, when a push came to shove, but it got me up a level. And my dad ran into Leo Cullen's father, Frank, at a, when when or Connor playing Black Rock and Frank gave him the number of a uh, agent over in the UK and that agent guy named Justin Page also happened to be Dean Richards agent. So, yeah, we called him up. Um, I played, went over, played a couple of trial games for, for Harlequins in May of 2006 and at the back of that, I got offered a three month training contract and, uh, you know so I, I i took the old toyota vensis drove across uh from from uh from from um to to fishguard used map printed out map quest maps and yeah. eventually found my way to london and uh yeah so i, I spent that was my first professional pre-season and do, do you want to give us
0: kind of an insight into we said it- those you know three months you must have felt a huge amount of pressure on your shoulders compared to if you were i would say 2021 20, because you were kind of at the stage in your life that you're you know you were getting married and things were going to go and And um how are you uh, would i be right in saying that and how do you deal with that
1: yeah and look i knew it was the last chance to saloon right so i knew if i didn't Make it, I was likely going to be moving to the states, which is where my wife is from because as as i said i had no had no job um my mo- my mother is from Illinois too, so I have a dual nationality, so it wasn't gonna be an issue for me to work over in america so i I basically just did exactly what I was told you know exactly I lost ten kilos over the preseason you know so uh I think that was instrumental. No, so the last ten kilos was in about three month, three months, and I think that was instrumental to you know getting a permanent contract there.
0: And uh, did you go through a different training regime there, as you would have say previously? You know, was it? Did you do an intense training regime compared to before? Was that?
1: Yeah, be another level. I mean, they're you're trained hard, amateur level, but if you're professional, doing it, you know, the way, you know, five days a week, and your food's all there for you, and, you know, you're doing two or three sessions a day, then, yeah, it was, like I said, the first couple of weeks, I was just banjaxed, right, so I was just, just complete shock to the system, like, it was like, how the hell am I going to keep doing this, but you get used to it, uh, I made some really good friends over there, guys I'm still in touch with today, and, uh, yeah, they they kind of carried me through, and, you know, there was a big carrot too at the end of it you know the idea that you know if i if i do everything i'm told and i get through this then potentially i can you know get a professional contract out of this and be a professional rugby player so you know i absolutely did everything i could possibly do to try and get that and but i think my, my first professional game was against um well my first was in preseason, and it was up where we were playing playing there's a Bay on yeah, Bayonne, and uh, I look across the front row, and there's this guy called Olivier Malou, who is a French international, and here's me up against a French international for my first game, and like Malou was a powerful fella you know uh, he'd been a French World Cup squad, he'd been a starter regularly for France, so I did all right against him, and um, that kind of gave me a bit of confidence, and three games in, I was making my first professional start for them in the Premiership, and uh, I was playing against Leicester Who've always been well known for their scrum and there's they decided to put Castro Giovanni at loose head for that one. So that was a that was an interesting introduction.
0: What was life like for you in London at the time? Um, I, I'd imagine it was completely different to when you, you know, came back to Ireland.
1: That's fucking great, to be perfectly honest. It was uh, <laughs> you know so I was um professional rugby player, mid twenties, no kids. Living in London, um, I just got married, so yeah, I mean there's so much to do in London, yeah, you know, a few quid in my pocket so I can go and, and enjoy it. Not not too much, but you know, it, it makes a big difference when you can go out for dinner and not really worrying about, you know, how you're gonna pay for it. And uh like I the, said there there's a lot there's a lot to do in London. There's um you have a game every weekend, you usually go for a few beers with the boys afterwards and you know, the following day you might meet up at the pub for a lazy lunch, and then you're training, and you're getting paid to train, and you're getting paid to do something you do for free anyway, right? So yeah, it was it was a really good three years I spent over there.
0: Um, one thing I you uh, came across before, and it's actually tonight I, I realised you you actually played in the game. Um, I found it very interesting the bloodgate scandal. Um, I know you were at a different side of the pitch when this this happened, but what was it like being part of the team that day? Um, say after the game, was there a lot of uncertainty and unease around the, the camp?
1: Yeah, I mean, like the the, the first first thing that I suppose thing to note is the reason that this was this sort of thing was endemic in the Premiership at the time. Okay, this you know bending of the rules, shall we call it, to allow blood subs on and off. They just thought it was just another way to, you know, get an extra substitute on or whatever. And uh, like we've seen other teams would have actually cut their players, you know, the physio corinzani's little blade or something, nick, nick, nick the scalp and then off they go. So I think with the capsule came from it, they didn't want to, we didn't want to actually injure the players, you know, we just use this. Now like in, in, in retrospect, you know, once you're outside that, you're going, what the hell were we doing? You know, but the, the, I think the, I guess actually was uh, like everyone's doing this, so you know, we better do it too. Uh yeah, and um ultimately there was you know heavy price paid for a lot of that, and you know, especially especially by by, by the doctor Wendy Chapman, uh, who been looked after a lot of us fairly very well, and like Dino got banned for two years and you know i think it was a tom williams was six months or something but yeah and yeah you look back and it, it's funny when you're immersed in it you, you don't think anything of it but when you step back and go god what the hell were we thinking um yeah yeah and yeah at the time you know i i, I was joining leinster a couple months later so i didn't think anything of it and you know i was over here when all the fallout happened
0: and I, I say you, you definitely got a, a few. Um, the the Lindsland lads were definitely uh, throwing the odd dig here and there, were they? When you when you landed in camp over it. Uh, I don't know. They they won the Heineken Cup, hadn't they? So
1: oh, I true, think yeah. they're okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: they they console themselves with that. But
1: yeah, like um, yeah. The the sad thing is, we probably didn't need to do it right because what precipitated was uh, we we had Nick Evans had to go off and Chris Malone came on and Chris is usually a handy kicker but about 10 minutes after he came on he tore his hamstring really badly so they needed to get a kicker back on the pitch now the, what they should have done in retrospect is shove Danny Kerr to 10 because he's always I've seen him snap drop goals over he's always a handy little kicker and put Andy Gomersall to 9 and that combo could have worked you know I mean Nick Evans had a kick near the end to try and win it and uh he missed it because his new wasn't great you know so yeah but you know you, you never know maybe we ended up going over to croke park and getting pumped by monster but yeah
0: it's a it's amazing how things happen it's amazing how you know the cultures are in, in in different um you know in different countries as well at the time and how how it changes in order to to push into the Irish squad, then you uh, you moved to Leinster you know in two thousand nine, uh, later that that year, um, we, we, things must have been going well for you in Harlequins. Like, was it a decision that you made yourself, or did you kind of get the nudge that look you, you kind of need to come back?
1: Uh, it was look, uh, I was well aware that it'd be much it'd be easier for me to get selected if I, I went home. Okay, so like I was very happy in Harlequins. Um, now, you know, there's a couple of things precipitated. I I was um, approached by Leinster uh, probably back in February, and, you know, the offer was good. Harlequins weren't prepared to match it. Uh, I also knew that, again, if if I wanted to play, it's, 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 if it's a 50-50 decision, it usually goes to the home base player, right? So uh, I decided I'd do that. And, you know, Leinster, I ain't a couple of champions – no, they weren't at the time, but they were going well, you know. So I thought there was an opportunity there. Now, the the one flying ointment was they had um, Stan Wright and CJ Van der Lind uh, available, but at the same time, CJ Van der Lind had a long term kind of toe injury. They, didn't, they weren't sure was he, if he was going to be able to come back from it. Um, Stan, you know, a big squad, everyone needs to play right. So I, I, it was a it was a calculated risk, and I took it. And look, certainly the first year it didn't appear that I had paid off at all. And I was seriously considering, you know, going back to the Premiership after the first season because I was a a rugby trainer, not a rugby player, and I didn't want that.
0: And how did you deal with, you know, with that time? Um, you know, you know, you, you took the risk. The risk wasn't working out, at, at you know, for the first couple of months. How do you deal with it mentally? Uh, it, it's it's um.
1: It, it's 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 can it can be tough you know i mean uh, probably my low point was i had this i had this callus on my uh knuckle okay a, a callus on my knuckle and i was looking at it going like what the hell is that from you know i'm i'm not boxing i'm not there's nothing i'm doing in the gym that causes this and then one day during a session it hit me the callus is from holding tackle bags I got a callus on my, my, my knuckle from holding tackle bags, and I was just like, oh, screw this, man. Uh, but at the same time, like I knew that like Cheka was coming to the end of his tenure. He was moving on. That had been flagged well in advance. There's a new guy coming in. So, look, I said, look, I'll, I'll give another go and um, and see see how we get on with, with Mr. Schmidt, because I didn't know anything about him. All I, all I knew he was over in Claremont and, you know, we'd uh, narrowly beaten Claremont uh, in the quarter um that year. But, uh, yeah, it's a good thing I did in retrospect.
0: Yeah, it's good that you, 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 you know, I suppose the fact that that coach was leaving and, and you knew during the year was probably something that kind of kept you going. Um, what was it like, you know, going from London to Dublin? Um, obviously, you're going from one city to the other, but all it is probably a big transition.
1: It wasn't too bad. Uh, I was lucky enough that I managed to find an, a nice house for myself. I actually rented off Bob Casey. Uh, Bob Bob had a house in Goatstown, and I rented that off him for five years until I bought my own place. So it was it was a bit bigger than i had been living in. And you know, look, London London's massive, right? You can kind of feel a little bit like an ant in an anthill there you know kind of like there's everyone's on top of each other you know in, in tight tube and i quite like dublin has its own you know unique flavor and charm so i i i i, I love, love living there and i still do you know um only problem is at the moment you can't enjoy as much of the facilities as you'd like to but uh yeah it was it was a an easy enough transition you know i mean it was back in ireland to see my folks a bit easier as opposed to having to take a plane home.
0: So at, at twenty six, you were you know you were thinking like, is, would I ever become a professional?" Three years later, you were putting on an Irish jersey um, at twenty nine, I think it was. Um, what was that day like? you know that when you got into Irish squad because you know and I, if you had to look from a, a rugby player's career from the start to the end you know, you know, usually they, they break into the professional team at a much younger age. Um and you're you, you kinda of had something between your, your teeth all through your career and once you got that opportunity then you took it. What was that time like at, at twenty nine but not in the Irish, jersey? Um must have been a great moment.
1: Yeah, it's a massive honor. You know, my my, my first cap was actually coming on as a substitute against Canada. So that was a tu- that tour was um there's we we're missing a bunch of Leinster boys from that because they uh, they just won the European Cup, you know, so the, that started. And uh yeah, uh, I remember, you know, just coming on uh, uh just after half time to win my first cap. And this is a hugely proud moment, you know, in your career. I, I still have the picture up over there getting my first cap. Um and then, you know, the the, the second the second cap was my first start against the USA and again you know when you get the cap you never know whether it wins my next one. The First time as soon as you get one you want another one so you're not on the list of one cap wonders <laughs> you know <laughs> uh but uh yeah, and uh, at the first we won both games you know which you should have they're probably a bit tighter than they needed to be but um it was it was it was a great feeling to like i I've, I've i've made it now i've played for my country, and as soon as you do that you only want to go on and get another cap and I, unfortunately had to wait two years to get my third.
0: And you had to wait two years. What? Why was that? And how did you deal with that? Because, like you said, no, you had two caps. It must have been difficult because I, I'm trying to put myself in your position. You say at that age, like you, you must have been extremely frustrated.
1: Yeah, well, I couldn't really argue uh, the first year because I wasn't getting my start for Leinster. Right, uh, the, the the following season, um, there was took a bit of time to get recognised but I knew if I just kept putting in the performances then sort of going well I was in good form you know eventually you'd get recognised and I was uh, just up to this first Six Nations game in 2011 didn't get there but I did get there and uh, I won my first Six Nations cap against Italy and I think I played 25 consecutive Six Nations games after that so it wasn't a bad record by any that's means
0: brilliant brilliant that, that's that's class it's a uh it definitely shows how hard work and termination, you know, it, it played it paid off in the end. Um what was it like being part of the the Linster team in, in eleven and twelve? Um, you know, when I suppose things really kinda of started, you know, started going well for them and they really dominated rugby. What was it like being part of the the whole setup and and uh it, it, it was
1: great. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was tough at times because, you know, Joe had these unrelenting standards, but it really drove everyone in the organization to greater heights. And you know, there's, there's something simple about it. You know, you, you do, you keep your standards, you know, you do what it's expected of you and you get the results. So you couldn't, it's very easy to go into work every day when you're winning. Right, and we won a lot. We won a lot, and I think we got into the habit of almost winning. Almost became a habit that you know the idea of losing wasn't really in our heads. You know, so even when we if we went you know ten nil down, we we're just saying yeah, temporary setback. We'll we'll get back, and we won. And most of the time we did. Um, you know, a couple of exceptions, but you know, it was it was it was a very good time to be you know part of that team and some great players around me. You know, guys like obviously Brian Driscoll and. Nathan Hines and um you know Jamie Heaslip Sean O'Brien you know uh, Owen Redden Johnny Sexton Darcy. I mean there's lots of you know a lot of leaders a lot of household names lots of guys who would walk into a lot of teams and it was it was it was a really special period in my life
0: and how did Joe uh, and Joe and we say people with him create that culture um that high standard culture and you know t- you know, you can kind of try to create and get a few people to buy in but to get everyone to buy in it can be difficult how did he how did he do it because a winning culture a t- have a good team culture is, is, is highly important I, I think he just he had this
1: uh, very high standard in training right so you know, he didn't accept. Uh, there was a you know apocryphal story going around that his first couple of weeks here, he'd pop off Brian O'Driscoll for not catching. You know, it was a shit pass. But he said, oh, Draco, good players catch those, right? And, of course, everyone's going, oh, my God, you know, I better up my game. And, like, I'll give you an example. I mean, I remember during a video review a uh, few few months in, and um, we were playing against a team, and the winger scored a try, and he goes, Mike, that, or Rossi, that was your man. I'm looking at him like his two heads, like, what the hell do you mean? That's Maya, man. It's a fucking winger. Like, I'm, a pri- I'm not going to catch him. I said, yes, but you're next to him here, and you're jogging, and when he gets the ball, he's he, he sprinting, and if you would have ran quick when he got the ball, you could have caught him. So that was, yeah. You know, if you worked harder, it, 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 his, his mantra is work harder, earlier, smarter. So um, any time <laughs> you know, there, there was a ball kicked up the pitch, you see Leinster lads just sprinting because Joe would always – take the wide field and see who was sprinting and who wasn't. So it's was almost like you had a like, little Joe on your shoulder go, right, you better bust your arse down on the pitch. Um, it, it's, it's like the, the, the no talent moments. You don't require talent to work hard. Okay, so you, you have to, if, if there's a, a, a kick chase, you better bust your arse and be in the defensive line, not be jogging. You know, um, because he'd be merciless in the after game review if he saw that.
0: And when did, you know, things start going the right direction for Linzer? I know, when Joe came in, did it take a while for his stamp to be to be put on the team or did it kind of happen straight away?
1: No, it took a, it took a few months. I remember we, I think we lost the first four games at bounce and, and George Hook was shouting on about, oh, he's lost the dressing room and this kind of thing. And, you know, it it takes time for things to fit in, but we we had, we had confident, faith and confidence. We I mean, you know, we just weren't executing properly, and once we started executing, then things started going our way. You know, um, like Joe was a, a mastermind that coming up with set plays to unlock defenses, and he, we like some. We wouldn't have a Brian Aban in the ranks, right? But if you've uh, a slightly less faster man, you know, running against a slower man, it doesn't matter. So he's kind of trying to try put our strengths up against our weaknesses and he's always very good at coming up with something to do that.
0: And what, looking back on your career now, what was your favourite um, club win or success? And what was your favourite moment um, playing, playing uh, with the national team? Uh,
1: club-wise, probably the 2011 final against uh, Northampton because I was in two very dish, different emotional states 40 minutes apart, you know, because uh, he came in after getting our handed to us for the first 40 minutes and then turned it around from a 20, 20 points at six deficit and uh, winning that game. And it was like, I, I'd grown up watching Munster win Heighton Cups. I, I went to the 2002 final, semi yeah, final where he lost to Leicester. And... Uh, you know, I watched them on TV in two thousand six, and they would won. And I couldn't actually believe that I had a high Cup medal too. Now, you know, it was just it just seemed amazing to me. And then the following year, we went to one again. and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll have one of these every year." This is kind of easy. And then you know, it didn't prove, <laughs> it didn't turn out to be the case. Uh, n- national squad wise, it'd be uh, winning the Six Nations in twenty fourteen because again, it was my first bit of silverware in an Irish jersey and. Uh, we we it was almost snatched from us at the death, but uh Dave Carney came out of the line, made uh, a Papay Crow a forward pass and that was that.
0: I suppose look for, from a person that wouldn't, you know, play rugby and wouldn't be um you know having played rugby. I well I actually did play rugby for a while. I, I went to one training session and was put up against Alton land. And I had to try to stop him. with no previous experience, mm. so there was only one winner there. Um, Good luck. I know, <laughs> yeah. But for scrummaging, just for people that would know, it's not just we say two packs going at, going at each other. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot of skill to it. There's an art to it. Do you want to give us kind of an overview? Of what what goes into it? Yeah. Well,
1: well, it's um, it is two packs going at each other. Uh, that's the that's the basic essence of us. Um, like, when I'm coaching Scrummage, I say, look, this is, this is your man up a okay? You know, I mean, this is where you're going to find if you have what it takes. And it's funny, it might not be the guys who are collectively the strongest. It's the, it's the ones who are the most aggressive and want the most, who, who, who go forwards and other lads will go backwards. But, you know, if you reduce it down, it's just eight big men pushing against eight other big men. And it's, it's basic physics. Okay, so you want, all want to be pushing in the same direction. You want the force to be kind of lined up. So when I'm talking about coaching, I say spines in line. That's what I mean. Like I don't want one guy's head pointing down, one guy's head pointing up. Because then you'll get like this kind of movement. So you want a, a flat plane of force going through and uh, trying to concentrate, you know, into an, a narrow point as possible uh, to create you know, it would be like the difference being stood on by a tennis shoe or being stood on by a stiletto, right? Stiletto's going to hurt a lot more, right? So you have to try and... That's, that's basically what you're trying to do, okay? And, uh, you know, there's, you know, they talk about the dark arts and the rest of it, but I think of a scrum as a bit of a suspension bridge. One half is pushing down, the other half is pushing up, so the tightest is pushing down. The loose is trying to push them up, and you put those two forces together and they kind of bounce each other out and the scrum stays up. So that's why... It's quite you know, if the scrum goes down, it could be a number of different factors, maybe the the vectors of force are pointing down and or the loose they couldn't hold the tight head up or the tight head slipped. You know, there's a bunch of different reasons for it, but I, I, I like to think it's probably the most the purest uh version of physical confrontation you're kinda of going to get in the game.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. And um did you ever you know, during your play career, did you ever get any bad bad hits? Um for example, concussion, or you know, times that you might have been dazed, um, and would you have any after effects since your your rugby days? I I was actually lucky enough. I've probably
1: only got concussed once uh, during the game, and I look. I, I went to tackle Parise and I got his forehead to my my uh, head, my or his forearm to my forehead for my trouble, and I staggered around for about ten seconds and got back up. Uh, but that was about the size of it. So I never actually got physically knocked out. Now, you know, the little bit of worry is uh, I come out of plenty of scrum seeing stars, right, because uh, I saw that once, I think, across the front row of an international scrum is about two tons of pressure. So you, you, you come out with that and you're kind of like – your legs are heavy or sometimes you can be a little bit woozy. You hear about hookers passing out in the scrum from the force applied and yeah that can happen if you got guys coming in here it can cut off the supply for a second uh but no I've, I've been i've been all right you know
0: touch wood brilliant brilliant and um looking back in your career and you 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 know you touched on it earlier on um you, you know you got the opportunity to share the dressing room with some great Irish rugby um you want to give us kind of an insight into exactly what it was you know to see the likes of say you know brian o'driscoll and you know to see the likes of paul o'connell and you know sex and really got supposed to grow you know while you were there i suppose he was kind of young when you when, when you kind of came in um, and to see what he is now
1: yeah i mean they're all very different people right you know so um paul, paul is uh and they're all a lot of crack. <laughs> That's the thing, you know, <laughs> so like, but you would be absolutely a uh, line up obsessed, you know, he'd kind of be, have you read his book?
0: Bits of it, yeah, uh, I didn't finish Yeah, yeah. Thing, yeah, so
1: the, the way he comes across is the way he was like that, but, you know, for all his drive and hunger to be the best and the fittest, you know, the thing I miss most about professional rugby is the amount of crack that you have, you know, the crack in the dress room, like you're in this internal 15 year old playing with your mates, and that that that's I think what most guys struggle with when they leave is the missing the crack, you know. Uh, Sexto, I mean a lot. I have, he's a good friend of mine, but you know, from some time to time he was so driven that I don't think there was a, a guy in Leinster that didn't didn't have a fight with him at some stage, you know. And uh, unfortunately, I remember um, he, he he we two of us had been he argument argument He was probably Rice, well, but I couldn't even know that. Okay, so that's I wanted to hammer him, but. I, need, I wanted him on the pitch. <laughs> so I, I just grab him by the neck and start trying to choke him. But uh, yeah, that's what makes him such a good competitor you know, and, and, and allows him to have the success that he's had. But I, I, it's just, yeah, you definitely miss the, the times in dressing after the game when you've won and you know someone's put a bit of music on, there's a couple beers going around, and just, yeah, everything's right with the
0: world and i suppose the the camaraderie you know the and the yeah like you said the the, the crack and the the banter and that must be very hard to i maybe accept or deal with you know post retirement in the early days post retirement um how have you filled that gap
1: I, I i don't think i have to be honest you know I, it's uh it's just something you you kind of accept this is this, these are the terms and conditions of of being a rugby player that you know uh, on the 31st of May you're part of the group On the first of June you're out you know because that's when the contracts expire but you know like you get removed from the squad WhatsApp groups and um, you you know that and come come July you're not going to be walking back into pre season and catching up with guys and. Yeah, it is difficult. It is difficult because you're inside that rugby bubble and then you're properly ejected out of it. And now you have to go and kind of rebuild your identity. Um, and the thing about rugby, it's cool. It's a cool thing to do, you know, and now you have to go do something else. And unfortunately for a lot of, a lot of us, it was just like, well, I finally know what I'm doing, you know. Now I need to go do something else, you know, and uh, I don't think there's any any other jobs where you put to get 10 or 15 years of experience and then have to completely change to something different.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's something I was going to touch on. Um, you know, you had an an identity as um, a rugby player, an Irish international. How do you deal with that then? Like you said, you had 15 years experience and going into something then that you would know no experience, and that's what every kind of professional athlete does have to you know deal with
1: yeah it, it's a, it's a tricky one uh because you 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 actually have a lot of business transferable skills right so you know for instance, most of us would be very comfortable uh public speaking, no problem talking to a room, no problem presenting uh especially if you a lot of us are media trained essentially because you You spend many days trying to give the most boring, uninteresting interviews to, <laughs> to uh journalists you know uh, yeah, looking for no fault your own if yeah oh, shit, I hate going to dragons or shower wankers i mean like you can, you could never say that you know and, and and like dragons is a tough place to go um because, you know they invariably run with that and hype it up and the next thing you know it's someone they're burning your effigy in Rodney parade or something so yeah, and but like you also have teamwork. I mean, a lot. Look, by its very nature, rugby players are consummate team players, driven, disciplined. So those are all transferable skills, right? And uh, but sometimes it takes a bit of time to figure out you know, where you can apply those transferable skills. I, I was lucky enough. I was always always had an interest in tech, and when I when I, uh, when I came near the end, I went and got a an the recruiter. the recruiter goes, "Look, you like your tech." you ever thought about working in tech sales and I said like, no because I had this Glenn Gary Glenn Ross idea of sales right you know you know I'll always be closing you know coffee is for closers that kind of thing and he said look you you, ha- you have a good profile you have a good network uh, even if if you don't realize it and you know sales is driven by a lot of that that kind of thing so i became a door opener and that was enough to start with now i had to become a like a door closer too so uh, that took a bit of time, but you know I, I've, I'm nearly four years into it now, and uh, I think I'm starting to get a handle on it. But you know, it'll be another seven or eight years before I'm probably back up to the level I was rugby-wise, you know, uh, in in the new career. I was
0: at. Do you think you're kind of lucky in a way that you had, um, you know, a university degree in your back pocket?
1: Yeah, definitely like that's bare minimum these days isn't it? Mm-hmm. And now like you know some guys have um gone on been really successful uh, in the afterlife, as as rugby players call it like Conor O'Loughlin, who's um a former conduct rugby player started up a, a company called Glowfox and they've been highly successful. A Little bit of a blip with you know obviously covid restrictions because they look after gyms but um you know, he got nominated for Entrepreneur of the Year there, so he's doing all right. Uh, you've Owen Redden, who's pulling up trees over in Avalon. Um, Kevin McLaughlin, who's um, VP Operations in Kitman Labs. You know, another startup that was also started up by a guy called C. B. Smith, who was a he was a former conditioner in Leinster, actually. So, you know, there there, there are guys making a mark in the business the world. Jamie, he's worked for Google now. He's I think he's he's gone and branching into executive coaching. So. Yeah, there's there's a lot of us. There's a growing network of us out there, and I, I guess the advantage we have when we're coming out is that, like most of the boardrooms in Dublin, will be the rugby, golfy type. So you'll you'll get you'll get in, you'll get in for a chat. Uh, if you stay, whether you'll stay in is another thing. But you'll get the initial introduction or entrance, and it's up to you what you do with
0: yourself after that. And uh, I I saw an interview that you did there for uh, I think Leinster TV at. At the, I think it was the last one you did on on stage, was it into the Linter Rugby Night or something like that. Um, yeah. And you you mentioned about a furlong and Andrew reporter that you're expecting um, some of the, some uh, royalties or some of their wages to be to be paid in. Uh, do you stay in contact with the with the two boys?
1: I do, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, like you know, the front row union is a tight one because we all love you know eating pies, but. Uh, yeah, I I'd like to be Texan Tiger, I'd be Texan Ports, um, Keane Healy's probably one of my and Jack McGrath, two of my closer friends outside of rugby, um uh, uh, in rugby. Um, I'd say I stay in touch with like Owen Redden and Ken McLaughlin and Jamie Heastlip. I mean yeah, 'cause like that that bond doesn't go away, you know. I mean, if you think about the things you achieve together. like like doesn't matter where you are, I mean I might meet them. 10 years from now and it'll we'll, we'll be like we picked up from yesterday and I've got some really good friends still from Harlequins like a guy called Kerry Jones uh, who was coaching Newport for a bit, uh, a guy called Ollie, Ollie Cohn, another guy called Jim Evans, um, so uh, I still talk to them at least every two months or so.
0: Hopefully when, when COVID uh, clears up, you'll uh, be having a few points that's uh that's when the, the right banter comes out mm. um but just uh I, one thing i yeah. found yeah uh, hopefully one thing i found um interesting i i to be honest i wanted to, to touch on it because i think a lot of people are faced with this in some shape or form in their life um you know when when you're just when you're faced with you know to walk away from rugby and when when, when that time happened um you only had three months' wages left, mortgages had to be paid, you would have family to raise. It must have been an extremely worrying time of your life because you knew after those three months you'd have no salary coming in.
1: Yeah, it was a bit, no, don't get me wrong. I mean, one advantage you have as a rugby player in Ireland, you have the, the, the tax break. Uh, so you, you get a proportion of your wages you paid back Uh, at the end of your career which is certainly a big help you know because you go from rugby money to not rugby money and uh yeah there's a bit of a climb down there um so it's essential to try and help you know smooth out that transition but yeah look yeah it is a big worry because you know you you've been like I, i had a wife and kids to look after and I was kind of essentially going back down to the bottom of the ladder uh, to a certain degree. Well, you know, I, I was able to try and leverage, you know, what I'd done to, to maybe get halfway up the ladder, but still I wasn't going, you know, from the top of the ladder where I was all over to the top of another ladder. I had to start again and it's always a worry. And, and this is, I suppose, the one thing that keeps players up at night from time to time going, what, well, what am I going to do when the, when the music stops? And, uh, in fairness, you know, they're, they're, they're a lot more proactive now than they were in the past. I mean, the Rugby Players Ireland has a lot of work with players into preparing for what comes next. And, uh, you know, like all the academy lads, for instance, are, are making sure they have a degree. You know, they're all doing the degree at the same time. A lot of players will do extra extra, extra courses, night courses, while they can to you know so when 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 the tide goes out they're not swimming with no clothes so yeah the, the it's definitely things are definitely better that way.
0: Um, just out of curiosity, uh, what was your morning routine? You know, when you're playing days, obviously it's, it's different now. But in your playing days, like were you an early morning person, or you know, used to be up at five or six in the morning, or what was the makeup?
1: Oh God no. Oh, God, no, I'm a nice owl, okay? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not a morning person. Uh, but, like you know, I, I I get up when I need to get up, you know, so I, I, go, I get up and uh, generally you have to be in for about 8 o'clock. Um, I don't know what, if it's still the case, but you go in and do this kind of biometric assessment so you'd see how much of a calf stretch you had, you know, your knee to wall, you know, your shoulder rotation. Uh, Kitman Labs do the software for that actually then that gets fed you put that into an ipad it's it fed back to the physio staff so they can go right mike's hamstring score is a bit down tight we do some extra stretches with him before he warm up before the session and then you go do say on monday you do a lower body weight session and then you'd have you know the, the attack session in the afternoon or whatever and tuesday be upper and then you know the heavier session of the week in the afternoon and wednesday day off thursday there's an extra weight session if you want it um then you'd probably be working on the fence and set piece and then friday captain's run which is very very light you just run through the players you're going to be doing and then saturday game sunday you go into the physio if you need it and uh other and then the week begins all over again
0: and how do you deal with you know that you know like, like you just said there there's a structure every week you, you things are planned for you you knew where and when you have to be at certain places. how do you deal with that when it's gone
1: um this is you have to create your own structure really you know so uh it took a bit of getting used to but now i know i look at my week and you know, um, the pre- I'd be looking at my next week, the previous week, going right. I need to start getting some meetings into the diary, and you know, see if I can meet someone about this or that, and uh, just keep keep adding them up. Um, I mean, I, I guess the discipline from rugby certainly helps. You know, so you, you do you don't just like cruise and ask her, That'd be grand. You you have to be proactive and go out and make sure that you are filling up your own week, but. You know, it's, it's freeing in a way because, like, a lot of rugby players have a constant fear of I'm not where I'm supposed to be. You know, I don't know how many times I check my schedule every day going, shit, am I, am I where I need to be? Am I where I need to be? You know, because sometimes there be, might be an impromptu line-out session and you didn't hear about it and you'd be missing out. But, you know, but like, the, like I remember a couple guys come sprinting out of the dressing room because they realize they're the only ones in there. You know so they're in the locker room and they're like, "Where is everyone?" <laughs> and then come sprinting out because they're convinced that they're missing out on something or something happened and they didn't they forgot about us or whatever, and so it's a bit freeing and like I got my weekends back. I can take holidays and times that aren't June you know i can you know so there are there are there are a lot of pluses to the, the non rugby life
0: looking back in your career um you know you you and you under different coaches, what would be your biggest takeaways from different coaches that you you know you like to apply to your own team when you are training them or when you are when you are coaching them?
1: Yeah, well, it, I, I I you you take you know bits and pieces from every coach. You know, I mean, from, like from from Declan Kidney, I'd take you know you, you don't require talent to work hard. You know, um, from Joe, it'd be like you are what you repeatedly do. You know, so it's 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 funny from, from a from a scrum coach I had called Marco Caputo. Just go forward. You know, so when coaching scrums, you know, it's it's not hard. let just go forward. Now there'll be a few more swear words thrown into that, but uh, you 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 t- you t- you take the bits and you you keep the ones you think are relevant or things you like and and move on from that. You know, and there's other other things you like, other things you can apply to life. You know, the, the, certainly the psychological approach, the I mean, big thing in rugby is control the controllables. And I'm sure you, you hear that in other sports as well. I mean, can't control the weather, can't control the ref, you can control your own preparation and how you approach the game. And that's, that's quite useful. You know, uh, I mean, we're all prone to worrying, but as long as you're controlling what you can control, then there's not much you can do about the rest of it.
0: What team building activities are you know Vince, what you've done over your career with teams you know to form that strong on-field dynamic um you know even when you are with Ireland or with, with Leinster or or when you were over in in Harlequins did you do anything
1: yeah we did i mean i think though the the, the 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 team approach in most professional sports is the shared suffering model you know so if you're all getting sick at the side of a pitch after a brutal fitness session, that time's to bring you closer together, you know, that kind of shared experience. But I remember our, it was my 2nd preseason of at Harlequins. We ended up going down to the Royal Navy um, barrack or yard in Portsmouth. And uh, we did some team building exercises there. And one of them had us in this hydraulic replica of a ship. So the things on the hydraulics and moving back and forth. And we're given a couple uh, bits of wood and then they started filling the, the thing we're in with water we had to plug the leak with wood and some wedges and just so it, i think this is something they they still use wooden wedges for leaks in actual ships so and it was completely dark and the thing sloshing back and forth and there's water coming in and yeah uh, i still remember that one um like other when uh my 1st preseason with um Leinster. We went down to Nice in France, and we just played a few games. There wasn't any specific team building activities there, but yeah, it, it just depends. You know, some some clubs go for it, and uh, it definitely can be useful exercise, especially if you're just getting to know each other.
0: If there's a lot of new people coming in, and I suppose that you know mixing that in with um, some social side of it, that definitely kind of allows allows people, you know, to. Oh, Relax.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, the, best, the, best, the best team building is, you are know, doing some tough activity in the afternoon and then you go for a few beers afterwards, right? Because then you can laugh and joke about what happened that day and uh, you get to know each other and, you know, barriers come down and, you know, by the end of it, you're best mates.
0: Um, one thing I actually saw that you, you did on Twitter a couple of months ago is about um, online abuse that, you know, Johnny Sexton was getting. um first of all do you ever experience any online abuse during your career during, during your playing days um and what do you think can be done to you know to sort this or to improve this
1: yeah i did you know and uh it, the funny thing about online abuse is you might get 10 messages saying a oh, you know, great game and then one calling you a fat shite and guess which one you remember
0: last one yeah the one. yeah
1: the last one, yeah, you know, even though like you know, some I forget who said, but it said someone said online trolls is like you're walking down the street and someone pokes their head out of a bin and starts yelling abuse at you, I mean, like you wouldn't take abuse from some crazy fella living in a bin, so why are you taking abuse from these but it's it's funny how how the mind works, you know you you kind of get fixated on this, and you know the the great great and terrible thing about social media is like anyone can. Say something to you, okay? Uh, I have a couple of ideas around how you solve this, but you know it, that that is the blessing and the curse of it. I mean, like I, I've I've met some in- interesting people through social media. You know, um I've got like one of my, you know, there's some some guys I follow on Twitter that follow me back, to what I was quite happy about. Um, so, yeah, it's it 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 it's a it, it's a kind of double edged sword. So, um, uh, like, I think how do you solve it? I think if everyone was verified, that might go a long way towards it, right? Because there's so many anonymous accounts, anybody can be saying anything they want. So, if you kind of got rid of anonymous accounts and made people accountable for what they say, then I think, I think it's certainly cut down on a lot of it, right? You got to think.
0: Yeah, definitely something needs to be done because. Um you know, it's it's great that these sport athletes are, are, you know, are more accessible, but, you know, that's the negative side of it. And it's, it's naturally going to affect your, your mental health, you know, if you're getting yeah, yeah negative comments all the time. Um,
1: yeah. Because like, I had a actually had a couple of Twitter arguments with people when I said, yeah, just don't at the players when you're abusing them, please, you know? And some people took exceptions. It's like, well, I should be allowed to speak to my mind. It's like, this isn't a hard concept to grasp, right? You can you can criticize them all you like. Just don't tag them into your, your criticism of them, you know? I mean, I said, you know, if you had a bad day at work and I saw it and I started criticizing you and, like, I'm not, I don't know, a a, a – I'm not like I don't know a media marketer or something, so I have no idea what your job. But oh, you did a terrible job! You're crap. You know, should you should you should resign? You're a disgrace. You know, I know nothing about media marketing, so what gives me the right to do that? And you know, I mean, I mean, like everyone's got an opinion on sport, but sometimes it's hard to have a good opinion unless you've uh, actually you know walked in their shoes a bit.
0: And uh, just before we, we, we finish it up now, um, Tim Healy has been in contact and he's wondering, did you enjoy those trade bakes uh, he sent you?
1: I absolutely did. I dominated those things. Uh, they, were, they were a big contributor to my quarantine 15. <laughs> um,
0: how, how did you switch off during your, your playing days? Um, you know, or were you constantly just thinking of... of you know, scrums
1: and what to do in the next phase, the next game? It's, it was tough, yeah, because, you know, you, you it's hard to switch off, especially after a loss, right? You know, so my missus used to hate it when we lost on the weekend because I'd be just, like, unlivable with for, you know, the 24 hours after particularly if I had a bad game because, yeah, look, you, you'd lose and you'd be, it'd be hard to find it hard to sleep, right? You'd be looking up at the ceiling going... Just thinking about it, replaying it in your head, and you know that's that's one nice thing. About what I'm doing now It's one mood all the time, you know, because uh, unfortunately the losses in rugby always last longer than the the wins. Like I, I'm still a little bit pissed off and devastated about the 2015 World Cup exit. You know that that's still that's still. Burns me a bit, you know, uh, missing out on the Lions tour in 2013. That still burns me. And I, I don't, yeah, maybe time will heal that, but it's still, you know, you see, you're always going to have regrets.
0: Do you see yourself going down the coaching route more so, you know, in the future? Perhaps a head coach of an AIL team or provincial?
1: No, not really. And I'll tell you why. I, I looked at this, I looked at going down the coaching route. When, when I finished up and the problem is that it's a very nomadic existence you know uh, like and I, have a, I have a young family if they're settled they're going to school I don't want to be uprooting them every three or four years and moving them on to another club and yeah, like would I enjoy it? Absolutely, I would enjoy it. But I can enjoy other things too, and scratch the coaching itch by looking after. And they, like I'm, I'm for, doing the forwards coach role for Old Belvedere, for example, and enjoy that. You know, Keep, it scratches that itch, keeps me involved. I look after the um, under 11s from my son's t- team at Beckett Rangers. You know, so I, if I if I want to coach, I can I can do it that way. But um, full time is just. It's a hard life. It is a hard life, and you know, for every Leo Cullen, you know, I mean, look at Bernard Jackman. Bernard Bernard had to go from Grenoble to over the Dragons, and now he's 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 working for as an account manager for Affinitive because you know we were chatting. He said, "Look, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just not. very compatible with a good family family life."
0: Yeah, it's definitely as far as uncertainty. You could be you know, you could have to move your family within a couple of weeks and it's unfair and it's unfair on the kids as well. Um, yeah. If you look back in your career, um, how you summarise it up? Are you grateful for, the, for everything that happened within those 10 years, 10 or 11 years?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you told me when I was 26, Mike, you're going to finish up at the age of 37 and you're going to have, you know, 60-odd Irish caps and, you know, a couple of Six Nations medals and a couple of high Cup medals in your back pocket. I'd take both your arms for that, you know? Uh yeah. yeah, very happy. I mean, yeah, sometimes I wish maybe I could, could, could have come to it a bit earlier Um instead of playing most of my career in my mid-30s. But, yeah, look, I, uh, rugby's given me an enormous amount. I'm incredibly grateful for what it's done for me.
0: Brilliant. Look, on, uh, on that note, we'll, uh, we'll finish it up. Um, Mike, from, from us here at an interview podcast, thank you very much for, for taking time out and coming on. And best of luck with everything going forward.
1: Thanks very much, Rene, and best of luck with the team building.
0: Hope you all enjoyed that interview with Mike. Um, such uh, an interesting and, and down-to-work guy. Um, worked extremely hard. And he was very focused and dedicated throughout his career and uh, what he achieved is absolutely amazing um so credit to credit himself like 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 i said to him um and credit to how he you know how he conducted himself to you know kept fighting and kept grinding and um when he was twenty six got a got a shot and uh took it with both hands and you know ten years later he was such a a remarkable amount of um Achievements, he you know over 150 appearances for Linster, um, couple of Six Nations, and he also you know has over 60 odd appearances for for his country. Um, absolutely amazing, and fair play to him. It's it's, uh, it's an inspirational story, um, and I suppose look, it's it's an opportunity for for me as well look, to to thank Mike for coming on. Um, Means a huge amount to me when when you know, sports stars and you know like Mike take time out and uh, have a chat with me. Um, you know, go it doesn't go unnoticed, and I will be forever grateful. Um, because you know it's it, it's easy to, you know not 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 to get back to people if um, you know if you reach out to them, but but uh, fair play to Mike and and again look fair play to and thanks to everyone who has been on. An interview podcast today um but I, I just felt that it, it, it's important to to say that now um and look that's all from us on this week's podcast um please do get in contact with the show if you want to contribute uh we love to set up um a little segment of stories of players in part of, uh, you know a sports team or a corporate team and you know stuff happening um Please do get on, get in, you know, your emails, um, and your stories, and look everything be kept confidential. But if be a bit of crack, you know, I could uh, I could read them out, um, and you never know, I could uh, where it could go from there. Don't forget, please, to rate review and tell your friends family about Inside View podcast as well, and please do follow us on a social media platform. This, um, over on facebook you'll find us on the ball team building over on instagram it's at underscore on the ball team building over on twitter it's at we are on the ball two that is digit two we're also on TikTok. it's on the ball team building and we're over on linkedin as well we've a uh, a group there um and you'll find us on the ball team building again Thanks everyone for for listening, uh, for downloading the podcast, for contributing over the last couple of weeks. You know, on social media, um, it means a huge amount, and it's you know it's it's uplifting when when you see people giving you feedback. Um, and thanks a million again for for the support. Have a lovely week, and be sure to tune in again next week when we have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe, and remember cred and it's fin. Talk to you all soon and again, thank you all for listening.